Welcome to the Drivable Podcast. I'm Elliot Barian and over there is Brad Williams. And today we are talking about all things life, adventure, driving and NDIS with Tim Maloney, OAM. Tim is a great advocate for the space. He's achieved a lot. He's an ex-wheelchair um, basketball player who represents Australia overseas. He's done a lot of awesome things and he's a great advocate for uh, disability uh, people and disability community and so on. So, um, really looking forward to this chat, really looking forward to exploring more and challenging um, this, this, this space. So, Brad, are you ready for another great episode? Yeah, I can't wait to unpack so many different topics with, uh, I don't know how we're going to fit it in actually. So, let's get this started. Welcome to the Drive Able Podcast where each episode you get to listen to two of Australia's leading professionals in the area of driving and community mobility for people with disabilities. In each episode, they interview drivers, carers, and industry experts and share the insider's guide to driving with a disability. Here are your hosts, Brad and Ollie. Hi everyone, I am really excited to get into today's interview, but before we get started, we want to have a quick shout out to our sponsors who make this show possible, Mobility Engineering and Williams OT. This show takes time and money to put together and we are forever grateful for their passion to our industry. Okay, enough of the business, let's get on to the interview. Today we have Tim Maloney, OAM, joining us. G'day Tim, thanks for joining us. Let's kick off a little bit first by uh, telling us about your disability, what it actually is, how you came about it. Um, yeah, let's go from there. Hey, gentlemen, how you doing? Um, well, I'm Tim Maloney. Um, I had a, uh, a neuroblastoma tumor on my spine when I was nine months old. Um, it sort of was a dumbbell shape, uh, if you like a, a weightlifting dumbbell shape. Uh, it went from from the back to the front uh, of my spine, damaging the spinal cord. So uh, we're talking about technology of 1968 um, uh, and all the fun things that go along with that. I'm sure there are listeners out there who can appreciate that. Um, then I've had secondary disabilities along the way. Um, my right leg was amputated after complications from surgery when I was 11 and my right kidney removed after um, post-op com um, complications when I was 19. Mm. And then the usual body falls down because you're being an athlete sort of thing um, since then. Okay. So you, you've been through a, through a fair bit. Um, what level is your spinal cord injury? Oh. It's approximately T10. T10-ish? Yeah. Yeah, it covers a bit well, of a bigger area than that? Yeah, it's... I don't have an exact number, um, mm -hmm. but we, we best guesstimate between, like myself, well, not myself, but other people, um, looking at where the scar is and looking at function and, and that sort of stuff, we've put it mm -hmm. about T10. Right. So basically the bottom of the rib cage down is, yeah. is non-functional. Yeah. Oh, well, it's incomplete. So there incomplete. is okay. like little, little splashes of, of movement. Um, so on my right leg, which is the amputated side, the right mm -hmm. leg is the stronger of the two legs. Um, once the weight of the leg had been taken away, um, I actually found I had much greater control. Um, 
okay which was weird it, and it was just weight yeah you know, just removal of that weight and um i found that i was able to stabilize a lot better and, and that's through the through the core you're talking about through that well, area the, there the, the ability to to in a, in a functional way by you know using my hamstrings using my quads you know to move and stabilize um i guess like you guys would um in a car you know we, you know if you're stabilizing around a corner you know yep. you're moving your legs and your pelvis yeah um, and i've got a bit of that control excellent well let, let's move into that um 1968 is when it all started and you said uh then in, when you're about 19 you had some uh more more complications but when did you get your license and and what kind of process was it like back in the day what year was it that you got your license oh it was about 85 85 yeah i reckon that rings a bell um i went through the spinal injuries unit uh went through their driver training um failed the first test just because you know you're 17 and it's like oh there's a gap in the traffic yep zoom uh fail uh didn't allow enough room didn't do this didn't do that and it's like okay my bad uh but passed it on the second time um and then um yeah it was then once i got car modified uh it was away so you with um with the um those injuries the other this um i guess the surgeries that you had were they related to the first one or was it just um unrelated like did, was it something progressive and did that affect anything or was it just it wasn't it wasn't progressive uh as such i was really lucky that i haven't had any secondary cancers come out of okay. that touch wood um so what we're looking at is technology of the day was very much uh surgically open up and have a look because medical imaging just wasn't what it is today you know mm, yeah mm -hmm. the imaging we get now i think is amazing compared to a, a standard x-ray um so it was very much open up and have a look and then try and repair um and i just had you know a couple of incidences where my body and my surgeon didn't agree with each other yeah um, okay and uh, so the leg came off at 11 and kidney came out at 19. Yeah, okay. All right. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drag it back to the driving. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, well, well, <laughs> did you drive after all of that? Yeah, well, that's, that was kind of what I was wondering. Did the driving yeah. start after all of that or, um, or was it like during those phases? Um, so after the leg came off, I started driving and before the kidney came out. Okay. okay. So yeah, it was between that 11 and 19. Nicely. Okay. And you went through the spinal cord um, unit and they had a modified car for you to try or what was, what was happening back at 1985? What, what yeah. was available for you to test and try and, and utilize at that point of time? Uh, well, there was all sorts of things. There was, you know, tucked away in a corner, there was the, um, chopped up chassis of i reckon what was like an xb falcon or something like that okay where you'd learn to get 
you and your wheelchair in and out of the car. Um, so there was that. Uh, I think there was a Ford, the Ford Falcon. I think it was station wagon that mm -hmm. I learned to drive in um, and did my driving test in. Um, that is a program that's still running today, I believe. You know, that they're, they're still teaching out, yeah. well, at the spinal injuries unit. You're in Adelaide. This was in Adelaide. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. In Adelaide. Yeah. Yeah, it's changed a little bit for anyone that's tuning in. Uh, it's changed a little bit. It used to be out at Hampstead if you're in Adelaide. It's uh, now been moved down to the old Repat site. Uh, it's been through a few changes since 1985, but it's it's still there if you're a spinal um, patient, client, participant. Uh, make sure that you get in contact with the Hampstead unit, which is now Hampstead at Repat, um, and, and find out more information through there it's a great program for people that have had uh spinal cord injuries and um yeah so make sure you you check it out geez the, the ford falcon back in 1985 i'm assuming it didn't have power steering <laughs> it would have been pretty heavy i don't i don't reckon yeah. i don't reckon it did no at the same time i was um i was pretty strong yeah and, um, i've been doing sport since i was 10 and, um, I, you know, the upper body had come along nicely. So it wasn't that bad. And, um, you know, I was taught um, to do the palming of the steering wheel mm, yeah. versus, the, versus the spinner knob. Um, yeah. So that stuck with me ever since. And I, I look at spinner knobs and I go, ooh, you know, because to me, they just get in the way. Um, but that's you know, my own personal version of, of driving. Um, yeah, we, we need you to have a chat to the uh, Department of Transport because they've got a they've got a different opinion nowadays. But uh, yeah, look, it's 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 something that is a bit of a sticking point uh, between uh, clients that have driven palming the steering wheel for for many years and the Department of Transport who want it the safest way possible uh, in their eyes, which for them is, is a spinner knob. And it becomes a bit of a sticking point uh, here in South Australia. I don't know what it's like, Ali, whether you know in other states or not. It'd be interesting if anyone else is tuning in from other states as OTs or, or drivers um, with disabilities to hear what their point of view is. Uh, but yeah, it's a bit of we a have sticking the same, point. I think we have the same thing here. Basically, if you have a hand control, um, it's non-compliant if it's not fitted with a um, spinner knob. Mm. Um, that, that, that's part of the requirements here in New South Wales. So, um, so yeah, just, you have to fit both. It's just one or the other. And, and what's interesting, though, and I wonder if this is how, did spinner knobs, um, were they around back then or were you, they weren't and you were taught a different way? Oh, no, they were, they were around. But yeah, okay. the spinner knobs and, and, the, and the different handpiece options for spinner knobs um, were there, but they were... Um, primarily looked at uh, for, say, people who are quadriplegic. Okay. Um, the, the reason why I'm asking is... Versus the um, paraplegic, so... Yep. In, in the compliance standards, it's a pretty technical thing, but basically, if a vehicle doesn't have an airbag, um, it's pretty hard to get a... Um, pretty hard to get a spinner knob compliant because it's a pretty major head impact issue. And I'm wondering if there was something like that with the olden cars that didn't have airbags and they were a bit worried and they were kind of... Like it was a bit more flexible, but now since all cars have airbags, the government's go, well, stuff it, just put spinner knobs on all of them because the airbag is going to stop you from hitting the spinner knob. Yeah. Um, and 
yeah, I was just wondering if there was a little bit of sort of theory behind that, you know, having less things on the steering wheel just is better in general. Interesting so, point. Interesting. I mean, point. I like, I mean, I like the, the less things on the steering wheel. I find that, um, you know, as you're coming around the corner and you just, and the, the steering wheel is just gently moving through the, the light grip of the hand, you know, as it straightens up, as it as a car normally does, you know, I would find the the spinner knob that would get in my way, mm -hmm. um, you know, in that particular scenario. But mm. you know, in the old car, everything was a head injury issue. That's, that's very true. Very true. Well, yeah, um, that, that, that's it. Yeah. With uh, which type of hand controls did you first learn to drive with? Was it a push? pull was it a push in for brake and a pat down to your knee was it a twist grip what did you learn to drive with it yeah, there it was the south australian les brazier special the old twist and push yep the motorbike type of throttle where it pulled the accelerator backwards and and pushed for brake yep Correct. i know i know the one um yeah and the what, is that what you drive with nowadays are you still with the same type of scenario or have you moved on from there I've had a couple of different versions. Uh, currently using a, a, a Fadel. 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 Yeah. Fadel. Thank you. Um, which is relatively new to me mm -hmm. um, in the last year. Um, what style? Which uh, what model of theirs is that? Like the hand one or the um... trigger? Trigger. It's just the trigger. Mm. off the steering column and the brake off the steering column yeah yep. so the trigger and push for brake yeah yep. yeah that's that certainly makes it a lot nicer to drive with when it's electronic I'm, I'm assuming for you for your shoulders and so forth you were saying a bit earlier that uh you've got some you know impact on your body from playing a lot of sport and and um i'm assuming you know in a wheelchair and so forth as well um those shoulders must enjoy the trigger a little bit people say you should treat your body like a temple but i've treated more mind more like a theme park um, <laughs> that's a great line <laughs> so yeah, i haven't been gentle on my body <laughs> what what got you into the sports did that um was that as a result of um because i know that you've been uh, you've represented australia right in wheelchair basketball is that correct yeah and athletics yeah. as well on the track so I got into sport when I was 10 on a school holiday program um, that my family found and took me along to. And uh, the ability to get with my peers uh, and actually engage in activities, you know, different games. I mean, everything from um, Chasey to you know, versions of basketball where you might be using, you know, a bucket, you know, or, or, or an, well, I can't say rubbish bin these days because everybody thinks of a wheelie bin, but see, back in the day, we had rubbish bins that were uh, a bit smaller and more plastic. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, you know, throw the ball in one of them and, and, and that sort of stuff. So um, that was my taster of, mm -hmm. of it. Um I got hooked really easy. I was just enjoying myself so much. And from there, that went from recreational sport into organized sport and then into very organized sport. Yeah, yeah wow. So. And, uh, and did you 
you say you represented Australia to go to um, the Olympics or that type of level as well? Yeah, did a couple of world championships for the athletics. Um, also went to two Paralympics for basketball. Whereabouts? Um, 92 and 96, so Barcelona and Atlanta. Fantastic. How was traveling around in those days with hand controls or independence? Did you have to do much of it yourself? How did that go? Um, yeah, interesting. <laughs> we, um, hand controls and that back then would generally, you know, there were not portable or hiring options. Um, if you were going in somewhere. Mm -hmm. So we'd have to take staff or say someone who had um, a minimal type disability would be the, the driver, someone who could actually drive the car uh, with their feet mm -hmm. and not be reliant on someone that's like didn't have a complete spinal cord injury. Um, and back then there were less amputees involved. So you couldn't just grab the, the closest you know, um, below knee amputee and say, hey, we need you to drive this vehicle. Um, okay. So um, it was uh, it was tricky. A couple yeah, of road yeah. trips in the in the Tarago, you know, first generation Tarago, you know, <laughs> five, old wombat five, five, guys, five guys in it, you know, and all their wheelchairs. And, and back then your day chair was your competition wheelchair. You know, there was no Two, oh, two chair sort of situation so well no wonder your shoulders are uh are maybe feeling it a little bit Ooh. now do you do you have uh do you tell us about your shoulders for the for the young young athletes that might be coming up or even the the young wheelchair user coming up to firsthand from you any advice in regards to uh theme park versus temple uh do you do you subscribe to theme park or do you subscribe now to temple or somewhere in between i think somewhere in in between would be good um gotta have fun i'm, I'm, a, sure. I'm a big subscriber to theme park yep uh i mean i i get in my car now with the fadl hand controls and the trigger and i go well that's just like riding the quad bike or, um, you know, situations like that where I've used other types of hand controls or, or muddled my way through on a, on a quad bike that mm -hmm. is a manual and you got to do the, the crazy, okay, accelerate, then hit the clutch, then put your right hand over the petrol tank to go down to the gear shifter by your toe, shift gears, change, and then get it back up to the accelerator and try not to stall it. On uh, private property, of course. Private property, of course. Yes. Because yep. quad bikes aren't legal on the road. That's right. Um, so, you know, there's been many, many a different version that I've incorporated in all sorts of places. Um, but yeah, traveling, traveling was always difficult, um, transport wise, cause we'd have to organize buses and stuff and, um, have people available to be able to drive it and have the right license to drive it. Yeah. One thing I wanted to, um, sort of mention and maybe segue a little bit into is, um, when we were talking about body temple and, um, and, uh, um you know versus theme park 
Um, I can't remember who it was, but someone we were interviewing last year was mentioning about how he basically, he was from pre-NDIS days, mm. um, like yourself. Like and um, he basically ignored a lot of the OT advice that said, look, um, take it easy on the shoulders. Don't do this way. Don't do those transfers, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and he was in his late 50s and his shoulders were completely buggered. But he said there is no way he would ever have changed it because mm. him living that way made him feel less like a, a quote unquote disabled person. And he reckons that he had more opportunities in life because he had that psychological kind of attitude of, you know, I, we, we can just, we just got to make it happen, you know, in some, some kind of way, shape or form. And he reckons that he lived what would be classified as a more quote unquote normal life throughout his life. And he reckons that if he was sort of cushioned with all of these extra bits and pieces, he might've not been so successful in his life. And, um, I guess that's an interesting point and segue, which I wanted to kind of cover a little bit around NDIS is a new scheme um, and you would definitely have pre or post NDIS and NDIS is fantastic because it brings you opportunities. Um, but I think there is a little bit of that tension around um, choice and control as well as, um, you know, liabilities and, you know, maybe OTs don't want to be responsible for prescribing something that might be causing injuries down 30 years down the track, but then the person has to live in a way that they want to choose and they've got the choice and control. So there is that kind of delicate um, sort of balance within this industry, which we're seeing stories of, you know, tension and, and so on, and people potentially having falling outs with industries and so on. So, so interesting yeah, to hear. Do you want, yeah, what's your take on the NDIS and how has it, how's it changed things from your point of view? Look, at 54, I'm a fan. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm a fan. Uh, I appreciate the new technology that is come through and, and available. Um, like the, the, the hand controls that I'm currently got, I enjoy. Mm -hmm. You know, they're easier than some of the legal slash non-legal versions that I've used in the past, um, especially in today's point of view versus back then. Um, so I'm a fan, mm. okay. but do you need absolutely everything? Maybe not, um, depending on the individual and, and the motivation of the individual. I mean, if you're a highly motivated person, you'll find a way to work something out. You know, yeah. I mean, I've had to do that. I've had to look at situations. For example, you, you, get, an, you get an eye for working things out. Like, okay, we want to go to this restaurant. Okay, ah, steps at the front door. Okay, how do we get in? All right, mm -hmm. let's, go, let's try going through a side door. No, that's not an option. Okay, through the kitchen it is then. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I've, I've seen more kitchens than I care to mention. Um, but it's just uh, the ability to sum something up and, and work out an option on how to make something work. Um, I mean, I, I fashioned um, a hand control on the Tiwi Islands for a, a, like a Polaris side-by-side -side, um, yeah, right. from yeah. just using my multi-tool. Um, and that was just basically... a. a a piece of wood, a thong, and a bit of rope. Um, 
<laughs> We'd love to see a photo of that if you've uh, if you can oh, share that. That would be I worth. A, I don't even know if I've got a photo of it, but effectively, all I was doing was this was quite a big um, property that we were on, and it was an educational facility, and uh, to get around uh, me versus me pushing around. Um, they lent me one of their side-by-sides with the tray in the back. So through the through the wheelchair in the back, mm-hmm. somebody would jump in with me if there was somebody or I'd just get around myself. And I just basically had a stick and there was a, a loose thong underneath the rainwater tank. So I grabbed that, um, lashed that to the end of the stick that gave me a bit of traction. And because I wasn't doing anything with any speed, um, Oh no, there was a there was a there was a fork in the in the stick. So I had oh. um, I had the availability to actually you know fashion a nice handle out of it. Oh, very good. And uh, and it was just um, just kill that phone um, and just uh, going at sort of slow speeds. And there was you go, there was your stop. Mm-hmm. Um, and it enabled me to get around an area that I wouldn't have easily got around. So yeah, it's it's a it's a common theme. I, I absolutely from for some of the uh, older, without being uh, rude about age or anything else like that. But the generations before that are from the '60s, '70s, and and '80s. There's a lot more problem solving that had to to happen. Ali, you would agree with the interviews that we've done. Yeah, and that's why I wanted to, I guess, point it out that that kind of that concept of um, choice and control and what you were saying there is um, people had less choice um, of of what they could do um, into what they had access to, so so they just had to make it happen. And um, and a lot of our stories show, um, just there's a more common theme that people that were placed in those scenarios tended to develop more um, mental resilience. I guess, um, and, and able to problem solve and in general appear to be more motivated and, and self-confident um, uh, in, in terms of achieving these solutions on their own. Um, it can be good, but it can also be bad. There needs to be like a, uh, you know, a, a balance around that. And, um, and that's why I was more um, talking about this choice and control of, of understand, well, trying to have a vision of how you want to live your life as an individual and then sharing that um, as we've discussed with people like support coordinators and so on. So you can achieve that vision um, rather than, okay, I need to buy this part and I need to buy that part and I need to, you know, just kit out my car um, more than anything, if that makes sense of what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I mean, to me, probably the, the best thing that I could have engaged in was recreational sport. Mm-hmm because that allowed me to talk to other people. See, if I wasn't engaged in a social activity like that, um, where do I get my knowledge? You don't get knowledge. You don't see other vehicles. You don't see other types of hand controls. You don't get to see, you know, all the bits and pieces that people, well, pre-NDIS have, may have done themselves. Yeah. um, On post-NDIS products available. Now it's YouTube, YouTube, YouTube. Now, you know, when, as an OT, uh, the amount of pre-knowledge that people come into us with is is astounding in regards to this is available in America. This is available in Europe. 
Um, so it's what they're experiencing from other other people in a similar situation, both locally and then also uh, also the internet as well. And I think Ali and I have discussed this before in other podcasts is that there's now more opportunity for more products to come in from overseas um, with the NDIS as well. Yeah, and, and on that point, I guess, um, what have you found in, in terms of technology um, and options of products have, you know, that are, that are out there post-NDIS that's really helped, that, that's made a big difference, let's say, that you wouldn't have had before? Um, I think actuators on the, the rear tailgate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I think they're fabulous. Um, In terms of even getting your L hand control, um, um, such like, a big difference. Did you did you have like lots of different choices, and you know, did you go through a whole bunch of things? Like, I'm guessing in the past it would have been like, hey, this is what you've got, just make it work. And in this case, was it like, oh, I can try this and try this, and this model feels good? Was it more like that? It was a bit like that. Um, I wouldn't say completely like that, but it was a bit like that. Um, um, just looking at the options, you know, I tried the um, uh, the offhand accelerator. Um, yep. but I've, got, I've got massive gloves for hands, which makes it, you know, good for basketball. I can palm a basketball. I've got a six foot ten wingspan, um, and uh, the it was uncomfortable mm-hmm. for me yeah. um, to use to use those so I went away I mean I can always go back to that option if it if I need to um, but it was a, an uncomfortable very tight fitting um, option for me personally um, so I just went with a lot of what I knew which was just the the push forward for brake mm. and instead you know the trigger uh, fly-by-wire electronic um, accelerator yeah, so yeah. fantastic um, and that's really was, good. And that, I guess and that was really comfortable for me, you know, and it just felt easy, felt comfortable, confident in what I could do. And I guess yeah. that's the issue. You've got to find the version that works for you that makes you confident so you can get out and enjoy. Hit the nail on the head there from my point of view, Tim. Thanks very much for saying that. Find the thing that works for you. And and that's basically our sign-off, uh, isn't it, Ali? Every every podcast is Definitely. get yourself out there yeah. for a trial and, and make sure you find something that works for you. So uh, I'm glad you're advocating what we say uh, every podcast episode. Um, what are you doing with yourself nowadays, Tim? Yeah, you um Order of Australia medal. How did that come about? And what are you doing with yourself nowadays? Uh, that was for service to sport. Yep. With the 96 team, we actually won in Atlanta with the basketball. Yeah. Um, so it was a pleasure to be part of that team. Um, Congratulations you know, for that, for that, that era. That's really good. Appreciate that, guys. Um, so... That was, you know, a, um, a sporting highlight uh, amongst a few that I've got. Um, and what am I doing now? Well, I'm doing a bit of advisory work. Uh, and by work, I'm being generous. I'm volunteering. Uh, for uh, I'm on the board for KidX 
which is a child and youth expo uh, that we run here in Adelaide. Um, I'm also uh, an advisor with a company called Determine2 and they do a program called Immersion Therapy. Mm -hmm. So um, that's uh, underwater rehab um, exercises and everything using um, exercise physiologists. Um, so it's um, been sort of with those guys for a couple of years, Determine2 probably about six years. Yep. helping out and then I pick up bits and pieces where I can um, spoke with some first year OT students a month or so ago um, giving them a bit of real world Yep. Um, sort of just rolling in with them having no history of me and saying okay what's my disability and um, letting them try and work it out only being visual and get some very interesting and funny answers when you do that yeah um, but That's a great it's, question. Yeah, it, it's part of their it's part of their learning curve, and we are touching on things that they won't even see until their fourth year. Um, mm. But you know, they will have me as a reference point, so that's good. Good on you, Tim. Fantastic, Tim. It's, it's really been good. an absolute pleasure. We've gone over time as we do every week. We could just keep on talking. I've got a million more questions for you. We might need to get you back on at, at another stage to to finish the questions and explore more about your history and, and more about hand controls. I wanted to ask one more question for the people that are in, in wheelchairs. How do you get your wheelchair in and out of the car? Um, I'm very old school. Yep. I'm currently looking for a solution to old school, but uh, it's, I've got a box frame. It doesn't fold. Um, mm -hmm. So it's uh, take the wheels off at the door of the car. Yep. And then I uh, lean myself into the car. So I guess over the center console mm -hmm. and then put the wheelchair frame on the back seat behind me. Oh, all the way um, over the top. Yep. Yeah. And then yep. the wheels on top of the frame. Um, and I, I do that to keep the wheelchair um, off the front seat next to me. Mm -hmm. um, just because I don't like the idea of um, a random on the road hitting me and then the yeah. wheelchair hitting me in the process. Um, yeah, that's so a really good, that, really good point. Safety. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I totally advocate for that as well as an OT from a safety point of view and, and a road safety, uh, you know, um, road safety advisor as well. So, yeah, I totally agree with at least having a seatbelt around it, but yeah, it's still a still a potential to be a projectile, isn't it? In that, I can think product. of a pretty good product that could help anyway. So, little <laughs> thing that opens the back door, slides the back door, and a little comes out, brings your um. If you're not using that seat back seat, it's a little unit that basically just brings your chair right out the back door. But the back door turns from a flipping door to a sliding door that moves out. Very similar to what's pictured behind you, Ali. The sliding yeah, door yeah. opens, and instead of the chair coming out, it's uh, your, your wheelchair, wheelchair comes out of that, that yeah, sliding yeah. door. Yeah, yeah that's there's, there's all kinds of options available nowadays, like we spoke about earlier. Tim, um, we want to say uh, thank you very much for joining us today. Um, we we have run out of out of time, uh, but we don't let anybody get away without our final question. Um, our final question goes out to to everybody asking about what do they 
what are what's a memory in a car what have you used the car for you've already mentioned about the quad bike and uh utilizing some uh unique skills to make a quad bike work but what's another memory that you might have associated with cars that's not just about getting from a to b um some of it's a to b but uh i've spent some time in the territory uh so it's uh, a four-wheel drive and uh, just going off-road mm-hmm. and, and the ability i did a four-wheel drive course um you know and just driving through like Litchfield national park you know and doing the river crossings and that sort of stuff now it's not i mean it's a to b but it's it's a very beautiful A to B and, mm-hmm. um, and just sort of the fun of, you know, driving a car, you know, with water coming up over the top of the bonnet, um, sort of non, well, I guess, you know, um, Ali, you're getting that in your backyard at the moment, but, you know, it's normally <laughs> not a, um, not a situation that you have. Uh, but so that in itself has been enjoyable um it's a different driving set you know you're not you're not i guess you're paying more attention to the road and the scenery and uh better slow down because there's a camel and you know all of those fun things that that get in the way when you're um when you're remote like that but yeah i, I guess driving through litchfield national park you know camping and uh, the, the availability of, of, you know, rolling out a swag and um, spending the night somewhere and and finishing the next day. So, yeah, stuff like that. Offers that freedom to go all over the place, doesn't it? And uh, uh, so many options. And the experience um, associated with it. And that's, that's why we do this podcast, to get people excited, to get people dreaming about what they can use their car for. And um, it's stories like yours, Tim, that uh, that make it worthwhile. So thank you very much for joining us. Um, just before we wind up, a quick acknowledge, uh, acknowledgement to our sponsors, uh, again, who make this show possible, Mobility Engineering and Williams OT. Tim, if people would like to get in contact with you, is there a way that they can do that at all? Is there some uh, contacts that you could share with us? We can either just put it up on the uh, in the show notes or uh, ask people to contact us. But are you, uh, can you be found around the place on, on socials or anything else like that? Um, yeah, I've got a couple of socials. I'm not a big social user. Um, they exist, <laughs> uh, but... Um... <laughs> But uh, yeah, I'm findable. They can find me through you. Um, they and can if, look. For he's me. got a, he's got a Wikipedia page, so that's pretty good. Oh, yeah, that needs an edit. Oh my goodness! <laughs> <laughs> and and if they want to find more out about the Kidex Expo or also that immersion um, therapy immersion therapy uh, immersion therapy, they can find at Determined Number Two. Um, if they just search that, they'll they'll see us. And uh, KidX is www.kyd-x. Just stick your chest up, Tim. There you go. For the people that are tuning in on YouTube, uh, it's on your shirt. For those that are listening, this is a really good logo right here. Okay. (laughs) Um, But yeah, kyd-x.org, and they'll find us. And um, if they want to engage in Adelaide's biggest. child and youth expo specifically you know for all sorts of products good idea that's really good 
Thanks very much, Tim. Yeah, so stick around, everyone. What uh, Ali and I do in every episode is we do our top three takeaways. So stick around after this uh, little break. Uh, But as we wind into that, we just say thanks again to to Tim for joining us. And um, yeah, hopefully we'll see you on the road. Thanks, Tim. All right, welcome back. In this section, we bring you our expert analysis and top three takeaways from the interview uh, that we've just had with that episode with Tim Maloney. Uh, this is where Ali and I provide more than 30 years of joint experience in the industry, helping people with disabilities to drive and to get out in the community in a safe and meaningful way. Ali, what's our first takeaway? What's, what's the first thing that we learned from that interview? Um, one of the big things was that kind of motivated attitude of just do it, make it happen, move forward, get into the experience type thing. Um, one of the parts of that, and, and we've spoken to other people that have had really successful lives based on this kind of attitude is that one of the stories that stuck out to me, which I've had a different experience on, which I wanted to share was how, um, Tim talked about, you know, if I want to go to a restaurant and I see some stairs there, well, I might find a side door or I might, you know, and I, and I can't tell you how many kitchens I've been through type Mm. thing. And yep. That, that sparked a really strong memory for me because I was um, out where I'd invited some people um, out to a restaurant and one of the people was in a wheelchair and this was an air, a restaurant which didn't have accessibility. It was an old part of town. Um, they just didn't have that stuff. And, um, and he came up to the door and there wasn't a ramp and everyone was compassionate and offering him to help him to get in and you know, pick him up or do whatever they need to do just so he can get in because everyone's waiting in there to have a great time. Um, and he just got offended and he just said, no, not interested. No, I'm going to go home and feel sorry for myself and I'm not going to do that and so on. And, and look, I could understand his point at the time, um, but the results are that he missed out on a great night with the community and, and missed out on great connections. And that's what kind of the message I got from, from um, Tim was just pushing through, being a little bit motivated, pushing through the, the hard parts getting to the other side and then you do have a good experience, um, you know, with those around you. So I thought that was a great story um, and just great attitude. I don't want, we don't want to undersell disability access though. It's, it's absolutely vital that everyone has the same opportunities as, as able-bodied people in regards exactly. to getting in and out and so forth. But um, yeah, I, I, I agree. I love his attitude. Uh, that's what we're concentrating on here is, is to give it a go and, and make things work. He mentioned it multiple times in regards to, to making things work um, and giving it a go, especially, you know, it, it was maybe more of a, a theme back in the 80s and, and 70s and so forth where there wasn't as much technology and it was more of a give it a go type, otherwise you did miss out type of scenario. Uh, it might be a little bit different nowadays, but look, yeah, I, I loved his attitude too, uh, motivated yeah, yeah. it to get out and, and, and have a go. And yeah, look, that, that point of accessibility is a very, very good point. Um, the thing is, is that our community is diverse and, and it is changing. And Australia has had NDIS and a real big focus on accessibility for like less than 10 years almost, you know, so, so that the, or 10 years coming on 10 years, whereas um, so the reality is, is our community does have inaccessible parts. Um, so, and that kind of um, brings me to that next point of engaging with community is important engaging with community and and sharing those stories and getting into those more difficult situations whilst it's not ideal 
it's important because that's that's normal you know that, that's the standard for someone who's able-bodied or not it's, it's it's regardless of of your ability or disability community has challenges community has tough times like i've had tough times myself you know um with with various things around the community and people that i've interacted with even in, in the last six months so um but when you get out there and you you talk to different people um and you engage with different community groups especially um I loved which we uh, spoke to the I can't remember the lawyer's name. The idea of the the oh, Natalie 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 the yeah. idea of this whole disability community cohort. Mm-hmm. Um, get out there and engage with that disability community because um, because you're going to hear those stories and and you're going to yeah. go oh wait a minute um, actually it was okay because Tim was okay to go in through the restaurant um, so through the kitchen so maybe I can you know and, and maybe I didn't have to go home that night. It's come up in a, a, a bunch of episodes now, and I really encourage listeners to go back and, and have a listen where people talk about learning from other people with disabilities. Yeah, seeing them drive with hand controls for the first time, seeing that it's okay to have a girlfriend or a boyfriend and, and how to engage with a girlfriend or a boyfriend and, and so on and so forth. All of these things are, are really, really important to learn from your peers. I mean, it happens in everyday life. You surround yourself with like-minded people and you learn from them. You learn from their mistakes. They learn from your mistakes. You learn from each other uh, to make the most out of your world. And, and that's our number two takeaway is, is associate yourself um with with like-minded people in your in your community um and get out and have a go and and like he said it seems to be common again but that that you don't have to play sport but it seems to be that that sporting community really does offer a world of difference for for people with uh with disabilities um maybe to get through those teenage years and and into into adulthood um i mean it's the same same for me as well. I learned so much from team sport and so much um, learning and growth through that period of my life as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's all about sort of uh, engaging and learning from your community. That's how it works. So, uh, so get out there. And that's also one big part of this uh, podcast or the whole point of it is expanding that community and letting you engage with others and seeing those. Exactly stories. right. That's our whole motivation behind starting this, wasn't it? Is, is to share stories so people can learn from it and um yeah in, engage better in in community mobility yeah talking about sport it takes us on to our third third point which you know i, I love this quote he's treated his body more like a theme park compared to a temple and um but he chose to do that and uh, you know he, he might be living with um injuries now but Look, is that is that really any different to anybody anybody else? I mean, there's there's heaps of football players now that live with aches and pains and injuries from playing competitive football um, through their twenties and so forth. Um, is it any different for somebody in a wheelchair loading wheelchairs in and out of cars uh, be, rather than having a a boot hoist in their twenties? let's let's unpack that a little bit more ali yeah yeah look i mean if from a from a um the way i always approach things is let's look at it from a safety point of view first Mm. is this going to be a major safety issue so what i really liked about um uh, tim in terms of that wheelchair aspect is that he actually thought about the safety and he put it in the back seat um, because that's one thing which I've thought as a um, as a mechanical engineer and a crash safety, I guess, engineer is those sit- wheelchairs sitting loose in the front seat can be pretty dangerous. 
So yeah, um, but he's made that that choice to use his physical strength. Um, and that gives you that little bit of confidence every day, you know, that, hey, I can pick this stuff up and carry it over the top of me. But how many times have we heard people say, don't do that? You know, that, that rotational movement and all of that stuff. Yeah, I'll um, put my hand up. Absolutely put my hand up from an anatomy point of view, that rotator cuff rotating across your body day in, day out, multiple times a day is going to cause wear and tear on your shoulders. You've got to do all kinds of awkward, non-ergonomic moves to get your wheelchair, one into the front seat, but then to actually get it behind you into the back seat, that's that's a lot of wear and tear on your body. So um, safety first is it should be in the back seat. In fact, yeah. it should be in the boot behind a cargo barrier, number one. Yeah. Um, and then number two would be the back seat because it's got the car seats to stop it coming forward to hit you in the back of the head potentially uh but then the next being is in the front seat and and putting a seat belt around it um and but let's let's unpack it a little bit further where's the liability sit and this has become a really hot topic and look it'd be really good to um have maybe a lawyer on or or also some ndis or other ot's on and other mobility uh experts on as well the liability versus choice and control and it's it's illegal to go speeding, okay? And you've got the choice to make sure that you stay underneath the speed limit. Um, it's not illegal to put a wheelchair on the back seat, but it does impact on the body. So if we're prescribing that action over and over again as an OT, where does that liability sit? Um, and and it's and it's a really interesting debate and and topic to discuss um with from an ot point of view and this is my opinion only um i'm always going to advocate for the best outcome for the body first okay i've got a feeling that tim especially in his youth would overlook that and say no 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 i'm just going to put it on the seat because it's easier it's quicker it's it's uh, more efficient and I'll put it in the back seat when there's a passenger, uh, those type of type of things. But I know that a, a wheelchair hoist uh, that brings the wheelchair to the front door is going to save his shoulders in the long term. And he's an advocate for that now is that he's now living with with issues in his shoulders um, in the term. Who knows whether it's from basketball, athletics overuse from using his wheelchair or it's got something to do with loading his wheelchair on the back we don't know him that well but we're we're talking about choice and control with ndis versus an ot's recommendations in regards to looking after these shoulders because you've got 20 30 40 50 years of doing this repetitive action over and over again from my point of view the the approach that i would take uh, is saying that this is the safest option, having a hoist. If you don't agree with that, then let's try and find a different solution. If you don't agree with that, let's try and find another solution until it gets the point that it's not legal anymore. Yeah, uh, or and, just completely unsafe, basically. Yeah, unsafe, that's right. And, and that is a point that comes up a fair bit in that um, interview, which I think was the last one out um, with um, Andrea around the support coordinators. The one thing that she really pointed out was it's all about choice and control. What do they want? How we, that's the way we start the conversation first. And look, as long as somebody 
this is ultimately the idea behind a place like Australia is we're a free country to make our own free choices um, to a to a within a boundary of our community, obviously, which is a legal boundary um, and, and safety boundary. Um, but ultimately, um, it is choice and control. And if we can be presented with the risks and we make our own choice, it's a lot better. Mm. So I see someone like a therapist or a or even a modifier um, being very clear um, in writing or however the procedures it. are. Yeah, it's exactly is, is what saying, I was about to say, making sure you document it. Yep. Here is, here is the best practice. If we're not going to follow and this is where you want to go, here are the risks associated with that. And you're openly accepting those risks. And, um, and if you are, then it's your choice, mate. You're not hurting anyone else. There's no safety in the community. There's no boundaries on that. It's just within your choice. And, and that is one, to be honest, um, thing that uh, like as a, as a person who is a, um, uh, who is a child of immigrants and from an immigrant family from a part of the world that you don't have choice and control. Mm -hmm. um, I just, that, that's the whole philosophy of this country, you know, and that's the whole philosophy of what we live in is, is know the risks and make choice uh, choices on things for our person to live the life the way that we want to live it rather than the way other people tell us to live it. People choose to jump out of planes every single day. Yeah. Risk versus reward. And I bet yep. you if there was an OT or a modifier there, they'd probably be like, nah, don't do that. Uh, let's let's talk to the lawyer <laughs> in regards to, yeah, uh, making sure that this is, you know, no impact on your body as you come down to land and uh, so, so on and so forth. I mean, there are legal responsibilities, but once you go past that legal responsibility, the choice is the clients and you've got to provide them with options. Uh, I don't jump out of planes. I don't, I've never jumped out of a plane. I don't know what that adrenaline rush is like. But I'm happy with that. I'm happy with that. I'm happy to keep two feet on the ground. Um, you know, I, I go up that high off of off of jumps and stuff when I go to the snow. Once was enough for me. It's all good. But uh, yeah, look, it's it's we've got to be a real advocate for choice and control, and and, and it's a really interesting debate. And, and look, I welcome other OTs and and other engineers and and whoever's listening to this to put comments down below let's let's start a conversation around this put comments down below and and let's see where the debate goes and uh look if you'd like to hear a a, a topic dedicated to this let us know because there's a lot to unpack in that area and if you are an OT that's actually struggled with this or even struggling with what we're saying um and would like to come and talk about it please yeah. do because we'd love please to hear do other um, perspectives and, and stories on choice and control, because this is something that is becoming more and more prominent within NDIS as it becomes more mature. The community is getting stronger um, and pushing for what they want for choice and control. So we need to be able to have that conversation openly and, and figure out how that falls falls down for everyone. So, oh, okay. so yeah, and I think on that note, um, it's time to wind it up. Yeah, so, but as we wind up this episode, we want to do another shout out to Tim. Tim, thanks very much for, for joining us in this episode. That was fantastic. Uh, we'll put a link to his contacts in the show notes uh, or get in contact with us if you if you want to get those, but don't forget to look up KidX and uh, the other one was the immersion therapy. Um, a huge thank you to him, but also a huge thank you and a shout out to our sponsors that bring you this episode, Mobility Engineering and Williams OT. Uh, Williams OT Driver Assessments and Rehab is all the pieces of a puzzle to assist people with disabilities to reach their driving and community mobility goals. And Mobility Engineering is a team of passionate and dedicated people focused on bringing Australia's largest range of suitable transport options for all walks of life. And as we say in every episode, 
The advice provided in this podcast is general in nature. So if you've got any queries about what will work for you, uh, make sure that you get in contact with your local OT or mobility dealer and set yourself up with a trial or talk to your community uh, and get out there and learn from others uh, because those trials and experiments really do put you in the driver's seat. Thanks for listening to the Drive Able podcast with Brad Williams and Aliak Barry. If you like what you've heard, make sure you like, rate and subscribe. It really does make a massive difference. If you or anyone you know would like to share a story about driving with a disability or you would like to get in contact, find the show notes or find the resources mentioned in this episode, you can find us on Facebook. Just search at Drive Able Podcast for more information.